0: Chapter 51 of Can You Forgive Her. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Can You Forgive Her by Anthony Trollope. Chapter 51 Bold Speculations on Murder. George Vavasor was not in a very happy mood when he left Queen Anne Street after having flung his gift ring under the grate indeed there was much in his condition as connected with the house which he was leaving which could not but make him unhappy alice was engaged to be his wife and had as yet said nothing to show that she meditated any breach of that engagement but she had treated him in a way which made him long to throw her promise in her teeth he was a man to whom any personal slight from a woman was unendurable to slights from men unless they were of a nature to provoke offence he was indifferent There was no man living for whose liking or disliking George Vavasor cared anything. But he did care much for the good opinion, or rather for the personal favor, of any woman to whom he had endeavored to make himself agreeable. "'I will marry you,' Alice had said to him, not in words, but in acts and looks, which were plainer than words. "'I will marry you for certain reasons of my own, which in my present condition make it seem that that arrangement will be more convenient to me than any other that I can make.' but pray understand that there is no love mixed up with this. There is another man whom I love, only for those reasons above hinted, I do not care to marry him. It was thus that he read Alice's present treatment of him, and he was a man who could not endure this treatment with ease. But though he could throw his ring under the grate in his passion, he could not so dispose of her. That he would have done so had his hands been free, we need not doubt, and he would have been clever enough to do so in some manner, that would have been exquisitely painful to Alice, willing as she might be to be released from her engagement. But he could not do this to a woman whose money he had borrowed, and whose money he could not repay, to a woman more of whose money he intended to borrow immediately. As to the latter part of it, he did say to himself over and over again that he would have no more of it. As he left the house in Queen Anne Street on that occasion, he swore that under no circumstances would he be indebted to her for another shilling but before he reached great marlborough street to which his steps took him he had reminded himself that everything depended on a further advance he was in parliament but parliament would be dissolved within three months having sacrificed so much for his position should he let it all fall from him now now when success seemed to be within his reach that wretched old man in westmoreland who seemed gifted almost with immortality why could he not die and surrender his paltry acres to one who could use them he turned away from regent street into hanover square before he crossed to great marlborough street giving vent to his passion rather than arranging his thoughts as he walked the four sides of the square he considered how good it would be if some accident should befall the old man how he would rejoice were he to hear to-morrow that one of the trees of the accursed place had fallen on the obstinate old idiot and put an end to him i will not say that he meditated the murder of his grandfather there was a firm conviction on his mind, as he thought of all this, that such a deed as that would never come in his way. But he told himself that if he chose to make the attempt, he would certainly be able to carry it through without detection. Then he remembered Rush and Palmer, the openly bold murderer and the secret poisoner. Both of them, in Vavasor's estimation, were great men. He had often said so in company. He had declared that the courage of Rush had never been surpassed. Think of him, he would say with admiration walking into a man's house with pistols sufficient to shoot every one there and doing it as though he were killing rats what was nelson at trafalgar to that nelson had nothing to fear and of palmer he declared that he was a man of genius as well as courage he had looked the whole thing in the face Vavasor would say and told himself that all scruples and squeamishness are bosh child's tales and so they are who lives as though they fear either heaven or hell and if we do live without such fear or respect what is the use of telling lies to ourselves to throw it all to the dogs as palmer did is more manly and be hanged some hearer of george's doctrine replied yes and be hanged if such is your destiny but you hear of the one who is hanged but hear nothing of the twenty who are not Vavasor walked round hanover square nursing his hatred against the old squire he did not tell himself that he would like to murder his grandfather But he suggested to himself that if he desired to do so, he would have courage enough to make his way into the old man's room and strangle him. And he explained to himself how he would be able to get down into Westmoreland without the world knowing that he had been there, how he would find an entrance into the house by a window with which he was acquainted, how he could cause the man to die as though those around him should think it was apoplexy, he, George Vavasor, having read something on that subject lately. All this he considered very fully, walking rapidly round Hanover Square, more than once or twice. If he were to become an active student in the Rush or Palmer School, he would so study the matter that he would not be the one that should be hung. He thought that he could, so far, trust his own ingenuity. But yet he did not meditate murder. "'Beastly old idiot,' he said to himself. "'He must have his chance, as other men have, I suppose.' And then he went across Regent Street to Mr. Scrubby's office in Great Marlborough Street not having as yet come to any positive conclusion as to what he would do in reference to alice's money but he soon found himself talking to mr scrubby as though there were no doubts as to the forthcoming funds for the next elections and mr scrubby talked to him very plainly as though those funds must be forthcoming before long a stitch in time saves nine said mr scrubby meaning to insinuate that a pound in time might have the same effect and i'll tell you what mr Vavasor." "'Of course, I've my outstanding bills for the last affair. "'That's no fault of yours, "'for the things come so sharp one on another "'that my fellows haven't had time to make it out. "'But if you'll put me in funds "'for what I must be out of pocket in June— "'Will it be so soon as June? "'They are talking of June. "'Why, then, I'll lump the two bills together "'when it's all over.' In their discussion respecting money, Mr. Scrubby injudiciously mentioned the name of Mr. Toome. No precise caution had been given to him but he had become aware that the matter was being managed through an agency that was not recognized by his client and as that agency was simply a vehicle of money which found its way into mr scrubby's pocket he should have held his tongue but mr toome's name escaped from him and vavasour immediately questioned him scrubby who did not often make such blunders readily excused himself shaking his head and declaring that the name had fallen from his lips instead of that of another man Bavasaur accepted the excuse without further notice, and nothing more was said about Mr Toom while he was in Mr Scrubby's office. But he had not heard the name in vain, and had unfortunately heard it before. Mr Toom was a remarkable man in his way. He wore powder to his hair, was very polite in his bearing, was somewhat asthmatic, and wheezed in his talking, and was, moreover, the most obedient of men, though it was said of him that he managed the whole income of the Eli chapter just as he pleased. Being in these ways a man of note, John Gray had spoken of him to Alice, and his name had filtered through Alice and her cousin Kate, to George Vavasor. George seldom forgot things or names, and when he heard Mr. Toome's name mentioned in connection with his own money matters, he remembered that Mr. Toome was John Grey's lawyer. As soon as he could escape out into the street, he endeavored to put all these things together, and after a while resolved that he would go to Mr. Toome. What if there should be an understanding between John Gray and Alice, and Mr. Toome should be arranging his money matters for him? Would not anything be better than this, even that little tragedy down in Westmoreland, for which his ingenuity and courage would be required? He could endure to borrow money from Alice. He might even endure it still, though that was very difficult after her treatment of him. But he could not endure to be the recipient of John Gray's money, by heavens, no! And as he got into a cab and had himself driven off to the neighbourhood of Doctors' Commons, he gave himself credit for such fine manly feeling. Mr. Toome's chambers were found without difficulty, and as it happened, Mr. Toome was there. The lawyer rose from his chair as Vavasor entered and bowed his powdered head very meekly as he asked his visitor to sit down. Mr. Vavasor, oh yes, he had heard the name. Yes, he was in the habit of acting for his very old friend, Mr. John Grey. He had acted for Mr. John Grey and for mr john grey's father he or his partner he believed he might say for about half a century there could not be a nicer gentleman than mr john grey and such a pretty child as he used to be at every new sentence mr toome caught his poor asthmatic breath and bowed his meek old head and rubbed his hands together as though he hardly dared to keep his seat in vavasour's presence without the support of some such motion and wheezed apologetically and seemed to ask pardon of his visitor for not knowing intuitively what was the nature of that visitor's business but he was a sly old fox was mr toom and was considering all this time how much it would be well that he should tell mr vavasour and how much it would be well that he should conceal the fat had got into the fire as he told his old wife when he got home that evening he told his old wife everything and i don't know that any of his clients were the worse for his doing so but while he was wheezing and coughing and apologizing he made up his mind that if george Vavasor were to ask him certain questions it would be best that he should answer them truly if Vavasor did ask those questions he would probably do so upon certain knowledge and if so why in that case lying would be of no use lying would not put the fat back into the frying pan and even though such questions might be asked without any absolute knowledge they would at any rate show that the questioner had the means of ascertaining the truth he would tell as little as he could but he decided during his last wheeze that he could not lie in the matter with any chance of benefiting his client. "'The prettiest child I ever saw, Mr. Vavasor,' said Toome, and then he coughed violently. Some people who knew Mr. Toome declared that he nursed his cough. "'I dare say,' said George. "'Yes, indeed. <coughs> "'Can you tell me, Mr. Toome, whether either you or he have anything to do with the payment of certain sums to my credit at Messrs. Hawk and Blocks?' Messrs. Hock and Blocks, the bankers in, in Lombard <clears throat> Street?' said Mr. Toom, taking a little more time. "'Yes, I bank there,' said Vavasor sharply. "'A most respectable house.' "'Has any money been paid there to my credit by you, Mr. Toom?' "'May I ask why you put the question to me, Mr. Vavasor?' "'Well, I don't think you may. That is to say, my reason for asking it can have nothing to do with yours for replying to it. If you have had no hand in any such payment, there is an end of it, and I need not take up your time by saying anything more on the subject. "'I am not prepared to go that length, Mr. Vavasor, not altogether to that length. <coughs> "'Then will you tell me what you have done in the matter? "'Well, upon my word, you have taken me a little by surprise. "'Let me see. "'Pinkle! "'Pinkle!' "'Pinkle was the clerk who sat in an inner room, and Mr. Toome's effort to call him seemed to be most ineffectual. "'But Pinkle understood the sound and came. Pinkle, didn't we pay some money into Hawk and Blocks a few weeks since, to the credit of Mr. George Vavasor? Did we, sir? said Pinkle, who probably knew that his employer was an old fox, and who perhaps had caught something of the fox nature himself. I think we did. Just look, Pinkle. And Pinkle, see the date, and let me know all about it. It's fine bright weather for this time of year, Mr. Vavasour, but these easterly winds <coughs> — Vavasor found himself sitting for an apparently interminable number of minutes in Mr. Toombe's dingy chamber, and was coughed at and wheezed at till he had begun to be tired of his position. Moreover, when tired, he showed his impatience. "'Perhaps you'll let us write you a line when we have looked into the matter?' suggested Mr. Toombe. "'I'd rather know at once,' said Vavasor. "'I don't suppose it can take you very long to find out whether you have paid money to my account by order of Mr. Gray. At any rate, I must know before I go away.' Pinkle <coughs> pinkle screamed the old man through his coughing and again pinkle came well pinkle was anything of the kind done or is my memory deceiving me mr toom was no doubt lying shamefully for of course he remembered all about it and indeed george vavasour had learned already quite enough for his own purposes i was going to look said pinkle and pinkle again went away i am sorry to give your clerk so much trouble said Vavasor in an angry voice and i think it must be unnecessary surely you know whether mr grey has commissioned you to pay money for me we have so many things to do mr vavasour and so many clients we have indeed you see it isn't only one gentleman's affairs but i think there was something done i do indeed what is mr john grey's address said vavasour very sharply number five suffolk street pall mall east said mr toome herein mr toome somewhat committed himself his client mr grey was in fact in town but Vavasor had not known or imagined that such was the case. Had Mr. Toom given the usual address of Nethercoats, nothing further would have been demanded from him on the subject, but he had foolishly presumed that the question had been based on special information as to his client's visit in London, and he had told the plain truth in a very simple way. Number 5, Suffolk Street, said Vavasor, writing down the address. Perhaps it will be better that I should go to him, as you do not seem inclined to give me any information. Then he took up his hat, and hardly bowing to Mr. Toom, left the chambers. Mr. Toom, as he did so, rose from his chair, and bent his head meekly down upon the table. "'Pinkle! <gasps> Pinkle!' wheezed Mr. Toom. "'Never mind! Never mind!' Pinkle didn't mind, and we may say that he had not minded, for up to that moment he had taken no steps toward a performance of the order which had been given him. End of chapter fifty-one.